chapter 3. If you need a Bible, I believe Nathan will get you one. You just raise your hand. We'd love for you to be able to look on. We're working our way through the book of Colossians. And uh, there's a hand up there. Are we on? Okay. Colossians chapter 3. We're going to go actually through verse 15, not 17, uh, this week. Uh, This is a power-packed book. Every verse, every three verses together has so much in it. Um, It's very exciting to me. I don't know that it is or isn't to you, but I know other people have responded well about the fact that it focuses on the person of Jesus Christ, on his role in our lives, on his authority in all of creation, but especially in the church. And that means in your life and my life. And uh, I'll say it right here, what came to me towards the end, I've mentioned this before, uh, to try to have the comfort of God, and everybody wants to be comforted. I don't know anybody who says, I don't need comfort, I'm good. I mean, I do know some people that say that, but they're lying. <laughs> and I'm, I don't need comfort, I'm good. I don't ever need comfort from God. People who believe in God want comfort from him. Without his authority... You do not receive his comfort. You know, the reason that a small child falls, hurts themselves, even does something wrong and gets in trouble, and then comes, runs to mommy, is because mommy is the person that not just takes care of him or her, but mommy has authority over him or her. Those things go together. Do you get what I'm saying? If you don't, we can do a whole study on that. You need to nod which way you want to go here. We'll just, because I could scare you. You'd be here. And we lock the doors so you can't get out. <laughs> All right. So let's pray. Father, we pray that you would have your authority over your church. In, in recent decades, certainly in our country, it's not a new phenomenon. It happens everywhere all the time. We go from order to disorder, from faithfulness to unfaithfulness, from uh, focus on Jesus Christ to focus on other things. It's human nature. It's Satan's attack. It shouldn't take us by surprise. But we here today want to be focused on you and allow you to give us clarity of mind and purpose. For our personal lives, yes. For the things deep inside of us that nobody but us and you know. For the things in our families and the things in our world. And we believe you have the ability to do all of that and more. For you are the beginning and the end, the alpha, the omega. Before all things, you are there. You are God, eternal. And so we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So to review briefly, last week where we finished is the verse 4. It says, when Christ who is our life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. What a thought. What a concept. You're going to appear. If you're a Christian, you're going to appear with Christ in glory. Sounds like a, like a big event that's coming to the SPAC or something. You're now appearing with Jesus and Lynn Alps. Yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> You're going to appear with them. And so what will you wear? What will you wear when you appear with Jesus? Well, you'll be robed in his righteousness. If you appear with Jesus, Bible says that we are clothed in the righteousness, fine white linen. And yet that linen that Jesus wears, as we read about it in Revelation and other places, it's so white and bright, it's actually light. Light itself, clothed in light. Now, if you were going to ask me to explain that further, you'd be wasting your time. Because I can't even explain polyester. Okay, nor do I care to. 
<laughs> I thought that was really funny too, Luke. I just I mean I'm glad I had some support, all right? At least some support. So we're clothed in light, we're clothed in his righteousness, but for now we also want to dress properly spiritually. So verses five through eleven. Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth. Fornication, New King James, sexual immorality, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, or greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. It's right where you were. But now you yourselves are to put off these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, Filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one to another, since you've put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man who's renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Well, you can see why there's a challenge here to teach through this little section, just even these verses because there's so much here. Now, to set the stage for this, I mean, verses 9b, which means the last half of 9, through 10, I would say, tells us how we are to do this. We're to put off the old man's deeds. Now, in the Bible, you'll find that when we talk about you're a new creature in Christ, when you come to Jesus, allow his spirit to come into your heart, turn away from your sin and turn to God through Jesus Christ. You're born again and you're a new creature in Christ. But there is what's called your old man or old nature. Ladies, it's old woman, but that doesn't sound right. So (laughs) there's the old man, the old nature. And this is one of the places where you realize that the old you still exists even though he's been put off. And the word put off there, different from put on, is not the off and and the on are, well, the put are different because... I'll explain it later instead of confusing you. Let's start with the first one. Uh, to put off means to render inactive, uh, take the bullets out of the gun, to disarm, or another way of putting it is you take that lion and you make him toothless, clawless, and he's just a big puppy cat. A puppy cat? Wow. <laughs> we do have a new puppy, and he's dominating my life, so you do understand that. Okay, a little pussy cat, you know. And that he can't really harm you or control you. You know, a lion without teeth, without claws. And you put on is a clothing issue. It's like putting on clothing. That's the wording. And the members of your body is put off the members. Oh, I'm supposed to cut off my hand? Jesus did say that, but he was, I think, speaking somewhat figuratively there. Because here, yes, your members is your body parts, but it doesn't mean that you're to... uh, destroy your body, you'll do that by sinning. (laughs) What you're to do with your body is to destroy or stop the improper use of of your body. That's what must die. What must die in my members is the improper use of them. Does that make sense? That is the terminology that's being used. And so we're to let that die. So we read here, it says, put off these things, sexual immorality, I know we have younger people in here today. Uh, None of this is crude, and it's nothing that people haven't heard about anyway, even if they're younger, uh, unless they're very, very young and uh, and you have them in here. But uh, I I don't think you can just skip over this. 
Um, it's not the only issue, but let's talk about it because it's, it's, a, it's an issue in our nation. Sexuality is huge, for better or worse. Sadly, it's so much for worse right now. But sexuality is not evil. Sex is not evil in the Bible at all. Sexual immorality, which is sex outside of God's ordained place in marriage between a man and a woman, that is immorality, and that is evil, and that is wicked because that harms you and harms me and harms us. It causes us great pain. You see, God doesn't hate sex. God made sex. And God highly values intimacy. He values it so much that he put a special place for it. And I'm doing this because I don't think nobody here knows this, but I'm thinking some of you want to learn uh, a little more about how to communicate other than, God says that's wrong, you're going to get it. (laughs) Sin isn't bad because it's forbidden. It's forbidden because it's bad. So, Sex is not evil. It's highly valued by God. So when you have something in your home that's precious and valuable, you have something in your life that you really care about, you take care of it. You protect it. You use it for its intended purpose, and you don't let somebody grab your wife's chafing dish or china thing and take it out. I've got to change my oil. Do you have something I can use? Here, I'll open the china cabinet and give you my wife's great-great-grandmother's precious bowl from the 1600s that's worth $30,000. You don't take that bowl and give it to somebody to put under their car to change the oil in because, now I'm getting excited, because you highly value it. Are you with me? That which you value, you protect and take care of. Not because you're a prude. Not because you're uptight. Not because you don't have any freedom. But because you want true intimacy. And that travels a long journey. We have created, of course, in our culture, it's not new, but it's happened in our culture in the last 50 years, a greenhouse of confusion and a greenhouse. You know, a greenhouse is where you produce things more than you even would ever get anywhere else. Well, we've created a greenhouse, and that greenhouse is self-expression, self-desire, self-fulfillment. It's taught in our schools in the highest level. What does it even mean? We use the word community, but there's so much selfism about your own self-expression. And when you try to find yourself and find yourself and express yourself and express yourself and, and all about you, you pervert reality and truth. And it's taken its role, certainly, in the sexual revolution. We were told that we needed to put away those puritanical morals that restrict us and are destructive, cast the shackles of monogamy, one man, one woman, and just be what we really are, animals who just, and if we get rid of this repressed sexuality, we'll fix everything. It's the repression. Now, I understand that there's always been trouble through authoritarian leadership, male dominance on women, etc. You know, there are issues that need to be dealt with, but the sexual revolution, uh, where's the good fruit that we were told 
would happen? Where's the healthy relationships? Um, where's the reduction of rape and perversion? Have, am I missing something? Because I don't see it. I see heightened, heightened, heightened devaluing to nothingness. Sex is like a candy bar. You use it, you throw it away. If you don't like it, you throw half of it away, throw the wrapper on the ground. That's what's happening in our culture. And it's to our own destruction. It's not the only thing. You know, we do have a new puppy. His name's Peppy, Peppy the puppy. He's really great. And again, I don't believe that I'm being crude. You may, you may take fault with me for being so blunt. But uh, I've kind of gotten over, in our culture, um, you know, there's no room for us to, to mamby-pamby around, uh, whatever mamby-pamby means. But, yeah, uh, this puppy's so cute, and he's so well-behaved. Everybody's blowing their mind at him, including Gail and I, because he's just this perfect dog. But we do take him out on a leash, and he does defecate on the front lawn. He's a dog. He picks up stuff in his mouth that you wouldn't touch and eats it. Now, you wouldn't have any of your children go out in the front lawn. You know, I know kids go swimming and sometimes they do stuff, but we don't teach our children to go defecate on the front lawn. We don't, we're glad we don't get on a... Go, you didn't go out this morning to get the paper or something to see your neighbors all going to the bathroom on the front lawn. You're saying, why are you being so crude? I'm being direct. I'm being clear. You're not an animal. There's something different. And it's not just because of the mores of society. You know inside of you, that's not a good thing. That's not a good... We're not just animals. We don't just behave like animals. And when we do, we have trouble in every category when we just behave like animals. You're glad you don't have that happening in your neighborhood. Do you know something worse is happening in your neighborhood? More destruction is happening in your neighborhood. Families being ripped apart. Children being confused and destroyed. It's way worse than what I just mentioned. Don't be offended at what I mentioned. Think about what's going on in culture. Not to get angry. To get clear. To be strong. To be helpful to others. Does this make sense to you? So... Cast off those shackles and the freedom that we'll have. At Proverbs chapter 6 says, Can a man take fire to his bosom and not be burned? Can you take fire out of the fireplace where it's beautiful and warms your house and then just set the whole fire on your living room floor? What happens? You burn your house down. And that's what's happening. We're burning our house down. And saying all the time, it's those repressive, puritanical things that are doing it. Well, there was weird stuff in the past. There was some, some of the things the Puritans did wasn't good, but you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about having a healthy, holy sense of value to things you really, that matter. And sex is meant for intimacy and oneness between a man and a woman in marriage. And I understand I'm talking to many people where there's been much of the world upon you and in your lives uh, you know, I can't avoid that. I can encourage you from this day forward, where are you going to go? And for those who are young, you know, are you going to listen to the lies that have produced such disaster in our culture? Show me the goodness of it. Show, somebody the, show me the security in relationships that exist today. I don't see it. I hear from people who are distressed because their relationships are broken down because of sexual sin. 
That's what I hear from non-believers as well as believers. And, you know, so, um, you know, these things will be taken care of. Brown University and UConn are at the highest level of rape cases. These are highbrow schools. Harvard's in the top 20. So if we just educate people properly, they'll care about each other properly and treat each other well. We won't have rape. You know, there's another issue just recently we'll get to in a minute. So it's not, but here's what I want to say. It's not just sex. Covetousness, greed, not according to Rick Cohen, according to God's word, not just in this one place, greed or covetousness is idolatry. I can't make it say it stronger than it says it. Well, how would you say it stronger than that? Greed is idolatry. Three words. (laughs) I mean, I don't know how to make it any stronger. I don't choose to make it any weaker. I choose to understand that from the Garden of Eden to 2016, being dissatisfied and wanting more, wanting more of what you already have enough of, enough of um, is a destructive force in our lives. Uh, yes, we live in a culture that highlights greed because we're not talking about I have to have millions of dollars. I just have to have more than what I have. I, what I have isn't enough. And, and, then, and it doesn't mean you can never progress or get something better or do that. But there's an attitude of greed, and it's, it's in man's nature. It's not an American thing because it can happen anywhere. It's why I fault the movie that had the Coke bottle destroyed the village, was destroying the village because the Coke bottle came into the African village, and everything was peaceful there until the Coke bottle came and the kids fought over it. You're telling me kids never fought over a stick? <laughs> kids fight over everything. It's human nature. They weren't this perfect society. There's no such thing as a perfect society. Man is fallen, and man has problems, and greed is one of them. And when you place that in front of when you place what you want for yourself above what God is doing in your life, above who he is to you, that's idolatry. You don't have to have a statue. All you got to do is put something ahead of him. And I don't want to really do the whole list, but I would kind of comment that filthy language again speaks to this. And, and blasphemy is that we, we do live in a time where it is highlighted and touted that if you speak your mind crudely, crassly, uh, mocking authority and anybody in power or authority or any kind of uh, uh, the mores of society, that's highlighted as that's great, man. We're free from all. We say whatever we think. Nothing's sacred. Do you know when, when you say nothing is sacred, it means nothing has value. We wonder why our children seem to lack values, but we've taught them in culture that nothing has... Be a nice person and don't hurt anybody, and everything's okay. I don't even know what that means, by the way. It's, that's about as, as vanilla as you can get of clarity. What is the... Be a good person, and as long as you don't hurt anybody, do what you want. This is what life is about. <laughs> and how do you accomplish that? What are the clarity? What is the boundaries for that? What is the clarity for that? There isn't any. <laughs> so it's just chaos. And then we are backtracking, trying to fix all our problems. Okay, I'm not up here to complain. This isn't the point. Complaining about our culture. I'm saying to you that God understands what destroys us. Are you with me? God understands what brings us down. 
it's, it's in the name of sophistication, when you say nothing is sacred and you can laugh at all the humor about all the things that are not appropriate and you can speak vilely about any person you want to any way you want to, what you're saying is there's nothing sacred and that means there's nothing that has real value except my opinion or how I feel. And when the culture turns to that, the culture goes down the tubes. And so the important thing for you and I is that we're being taught to. This isn't for us to preach to the world, not that it couldn't be preached to the world. This is for the Christian to take fully grasp of and say, Lord, protect my mouth, my heart, my mind. Let me give full value to the things that you give value to. Right now, what things do you give value to? Well, there are certain natural things, but do you know the things of God that you are to give high value to? And your words that come out of your mouth are of important value. So coarse language and blasphemy and things of this nature, they got no business in me because God owns me. And that should include my tongue. Make sense? That should include my tongue. It should include my heart. So passion, it says put away passion. Well, wait a minute. You're talking passionately. We were supposed to worship the Lord passionately. It's talking there about perverted craving of desires that take you away from the Lord. That's the kind of passion. And it'd be really easy and fun to skip over verse 6, but we're not going to. (laughs) Because I have a feeling that if there's a hundred churches right now meeting and they were reading these verses, if they were reading these verses, I don't want to sound arrogant. I don't want to be arrogant. I think there's churches teaching the word. But I think there's more churches right now in our day picking out stuff. And one of the things they'd leave out is it's said there about the wrath of God. We don't talk about that in our church. We don't want to tell people that God has wrath. Well, that's like not telling somebody there's a brick wall in front of them where they're driving 80 miles an hour. (laughs) God has wrath. We better talk about it. Is Is that okay with you? God's wrath is coming on those who are in obstinate rebellion to his divine authority. You see, here's how it works. The best that I can do. I I can't tell you that I'm perfect at this, and I'm not telling you that I understand everything in life. But when God gives you something to understand, that's the thing I want to understand. Because I don't understand everything. Here's what I do understand. There's an outcry right now. We spoke of how rape is so predominant on our college campuses. They're making a big thing of it, how, how predominant is it versus the past, I don't know, but you would think we'd be past it because of all the freedom we've, and all the training and all the uh, expression we've allowed. No, we're not. We're having trouble. And so the Stanford rapist is the biggest subject, apparently, in our country right now. I mean, for a while it was the gorilla they had to kill. Now it's the Stanford rapist. And to this morning, a terrible thing that happened in Florida with shootings in a bar, but there's always something, but this, this Stanford thing is big because the young man gets off by a judge with six months, and everybody, I mean like a huge amount of our country is outraged. I don't know how this judge is going to ever continue in the courtroom because everyone will be able to say, I can't have this judge be my judge because nobody trusts his judgment. 
I mean, it's really becoming a big issue, right? We wonder what's going to happen to his career as a judge because of all the outrage about it, because he gave such a light sentence to this young man. And um, the Los Angeles Times did an article, though, that said, uh, well, is it going to be a judge's discretion as the law allows, or is it going to be mob rule? They're not saying we think the judge is right. Even the L.A. Times, they're not saying we think the judge is right. Follow me. They're saying in this article, that judge may have blown it, but if you start to make mob rule the rule of law, we're in trouble worse. That's what they're saying. Why? Because a judge has to be given a realm of penalty and judgment is what they're saying. And there's more to the article that we can't get into. And I didn't go through it. It was very long. I kind of got this idea from it of what they're saying. But in the Old Testament, here's the reason I bring it up. Judgment. God's judgment. God's authority. We're going to argue here in our country, and there's an outcry for judgment and justice. But we don't want God to have any part. God's great. Sit in your chair up there. Do nice things for us. Make my garden grow. Make my car run. Make that girl fall in love with me. You know, you be God in this realm. But when it comes to any other realm, you just, you know, stay in your place there, all right? Uh Uh-uh, your foot's moving. Get back. Would you really think you can follow a God like that? That we control him and demand of him our will and our judgment and we're the authority? Because that's what's happening. That's what's happening. And I'm not scared for God at all. He won't stay in the box people put him. But people put themselves in a very bad position when you make yourself the authority and God has to submit to your opinion. That's not a healthy place to be. That's not a healthy place to be. So judges in the Old Testament were given clear instruction that there was to be just judgment based on real issues, no loopholes. And I want to show you, there's so many verses, but I'm only going to give you two verses to give you an idea of something that's said. You don't have to turn there. If you take notes, write this down. In in Isaiah 10, the Lord says through the prophet, Woe to those who decree unrighteous decrees, who write misfortune, which they have prescribed, which means they're writing a law and making a ruling that's misfortunate, that's destroying. The word misfortune is a misfortunate word there. (laughs) It uh, is a word uh, who are writing destruction or problems for in which they have prescribed to rob the needy of justice and take what is right from the poor of my people that widows may be their prey and that they may rob the fatherless. Now we all know and we all would agree that we hate it when we see poor people be abused by the system. I mean, that's been pretty predominant. In, that's an argument about how it should be done between Republicans and Democrats, right? That's a big, and rightly, there's an issue there. There's a real issue there because for centuries throughout all history, everywhere you go, you see poor people get hammered by rich people. That is true. That does happen culturally in all kinds of different systems, and we should care about it, and God cares about it. And God says, woe to those who mistreat the poor and make a pretense. And Jesus talked about it with the Pharisees, too, and the religious leaders who did that and went into widows' houses and pretended they were being religious. And for this one, it's actually making rulings that allow them to take from poor people 
who can't speak for themselves or accomplish anything. Because a judge needs to be fair and do what's right. Don't you agree with that? But on the other hand, in Exodus 23, the Lord says in verse 2, You shall not follow a crowd to do evil, nor shall you testify in a dispute, so as to turn aside after many to pervert justice. Don't get excited when the crowd gets excited about a subject and jump on the bandwagon. Take a deep breath after you read that Facebook excerpt, (laughs) before you push a button and send your opinion. Good heavens. And all the other ways in which we communicate quickly whatever's on our mind because of something somebody said that we think is true. I mean, it's, it's so ridiculous. It's great because we have communication. It's not so great because we have sinful natures and we're self-serving humans. Not you. You're all great, you know. <laughs> but all those guys out there, you know, they're all... <laughs> Uh, We have this tendency to speak our mind very quickly about things we don't even really know about because we heard something. And and so, you know, don't go to a crowd. Just because the crowd's getting all excited, be careful. And here's the verse I wanted to read, though, verse 3. You shall not, so be careful not to pervert justice. You shall not show partiality to a poor man in his dispute. That means you don't say, well, the rich guy was fair and honest, but the poor guy is poor, so let's take the rich man's money and give it to the poor guy and call him wrong, even though he didn't do anything wrong. Don't do that. See, if you're going to have justice, what are you going to have? Justice. What was the right thing in the situation? If you, do you teach a child? Well, the neighbor has three marbles, and I don't have any marbles. So the fact that you stole one of your neighbors, neighbors <laughs> Nabel, Nabel the butcher. And, uh, but anyway, there's a guy named Nabel in the Bible. If you steal your neighbor's, neighbor's marble, I'll never get over it now. You steal this guy's marble, and the parent says, and the kid comes, he stole my marble. Well, how many marbles do you have? I have three. I have ten. Well, then he has a right to steal your marble. It's okay, Junior, keep the marble, because he had ten and you didn't have any. Is that what you teach your children? Would you want to live in a culture where that's called okay? I'm not speaking about any political group or any of that. I'm saying the Bible says you don't, you treat, it's something that we don't really know how to do. We have corrupted our system with so much loopholes and so much uh, legal ease that it's hard to find, you know, and yet God said to his judges, he says, you are going to do, what you're, when you sit in that judgment seat, you're going to look at the situation, you're going to know what's right and wrong, and you're going to make the right decision. Now, we have trouble because we can't trust people to do that. And in our culture, we disagree about what's right and wrong because we don't follow the scriptures, and I, I'd be, I'm okay with our culture being that way. It, when I say I'm okay with it, I'm not trying to fix that right here because I don't think that's my job other than how I give input to the culture. But I do think it's our job in the church to be clear-minded. Is that right? To be very clear-minded. And one of the first places you're going to be clear-minded is that God alone has the right to ultimate judgment. And our culture, okay, we're talking about culture. 
Culture says, and rightly so, and I bet everybody in this room agrees with it. Maybe you don't, but I, you wouldn't even be able to speak it here because people would shut you down. Anywhere, anywhere you go. If you know that a child is being abused in some fashion and you don't bring it forward, what happens to you if you get found out? You can be and likely will be prosecuted by the law. Is that correct? If you knowingly say, well, I know that child's being abused in some fashion, but I will not speak. I will not stand up for that child. I will not bring the judgment of the culture on that. You, when they get caught, you're caught. And you're under, you could be under the same penalty of some kind. May or may not, they, that flows, but that's clearly a statement of our culture. And so we're saying that, we're saying to each other, see, here's the, here's the hypocrisy of how can God sit in judgment, is we demand of each other righteousness in these situations. But we seem to demand that God has no right. He who knows everything about everyone has no right to judge. Explain that to me, Lucy. You see, should God, who knows all, not judge? In Genesis 19, the Lord says to Abram, Abraham later, when he comes and sees him and Sarah, they still don't have a child. He says, the next year you're going to have a kid. They're 99 and 100 years old, and there's that whole beautiful story. But the Lord begins to move towards Sodom and Gomorrah, and, and he says, I'm going to go down to Sodom and see if the sin is like I was told. Now, please understand, if you're new to the Bible, the, the purpose of this statement isn't that God was in heaven and there was like a tree in the way where he couldn't see Sodom. And he doesn't really know what's going on down there. When the Bible talks this way, what it's saying is, and it's consistent with Moses and Abram and other people, is that God is saying, let me, sh- let me get you engaged in conversation with me and get you to intercede so we can bring out to the people that will be reading this thousands of years later, they can understand what my heart and mind is. Are you with me? You have there, There's only so much intelligence needed to figure that out. I know atheists will say, look at God, he didn't know this, he didn't know that. He's, and they take little pieces and try to make God look stupid and the whole Bible look stupid. There are things that are really difficult in the Bible. We accept that. There's things that we don't understand. This ain't one of them. <laughs> you, can, you might not understand why he would judge. You might have trouble with it and it should cause pain in our hearts. And it does. We don't, we're not here because we just can't wait to see God get people. That's not the point. That's not his point. However, when it comes to this subject, he says, I'll go down and see. Okay, Abram, what are you going to do? Lord, he says, I'll go down and see. And if, if, if it's as evil as I've heard, and if not, I will know it. And that is a testimony that God will investigate and know everything that's going on with every person. That's the point. And Abram says, God, wait. Yeah, Abram, what do you want to say? Do you get what I'm, what I'm doing here? God's attitude. Yeah, Abram, what, what, what do you want to talk about? If there's 50 righteous men, will you destroy the righteous with the... That's the first thing. Sorry, I did it wrong. For the drama's sake, we need to get it right. <laughs> will, will you destroy the righteous with, with the evil, with the wicked? Okay. Talk to me. If there's 50 righteous men, will you destroy Sodom? No. For 50, I won't destroy it. Abram goes 40, 30, 20, 10. This isn't, people call it Abraham bargains with God. 
Abraham is interceding, and he reaches a point where he realizes, we don't really know here. I mean, I, don't, I can't tell you I know that he thought for sure there's ten righteous guys. Lot and his family would make up eight or nine. There's got to be one more guy there. Uh, I don't know. But he knows in his own heart he can't go below ten. He just kind of stops there. And I have, there's some issues with uh, quorum of Jewish, um, when you had, could have a synagogue, you could use the Ten Commandments, you could use some of these ten as the last number you can go to, but I don't know if any of that is valid. What I do know is he came to a point where he went as far as he could, and God went all the way with him and said, I won't destroy it for ten. And so here's what's happening. You see, God knows what's going on. Should God be able to judge? Does he know what's going to happen? Second Peter 2.9, talking about that event, if God knew how to deal with Sodom and Gomorrah and all that, God knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. And here's, here's how that all breaks down with all this earthly judges, God's judgment. Would you trust a judge on earth who would not give righteous judgment? who would not put out the penalty that was right for the crime that was committed. You wouldn't be able to trust him. Could you trust God if he just said, you know, I care about these things importantly, but they don't really matter that much, and I don't want anybody not to like me. You don't want a God who says, I don't want anybody like, not to like me, and that's his motivation. You don't even want a best friend. Who, doesn't, who their main goal in life is to have nobody not like them because they have no backbone. If you have a friend that has no guts to stand up for right and wrong, they're not a good friend because sometime you're going to need them to stand up for you, and they're not going to do it. God must stand up for what's right, or he cannot be trusted. And... So in the court room, the court is going on. And here's what we trust as a Christian. I trust the God that came to me through the Holy Spirit when I didn't understand the Bible, when I thought Christians were silly, when I was completely into my own world like I'm talking about here, just like anybody else. So were some of you. That's where you lived. That's me. I didn't do every single detail here outwardly. I was a good boy about some things. But pretty much, that was me. And you know, the Holy Spirit, Jesus said in John 16, I will send the Holy Spirit, and when he comes, he will convict the world. He will convict the world about sin because they don't believe in me, about righteousness because I'm going to the Father, and about judgment because the prince of this world is judged. Now stay with me. Follow this. It's the courtroom. And the prosecuting attorney, the Holy Spirit, comes. And he says he'll convict the world. That means, Rich, that the Holy Spirit came to you and convicted you about sin. And he not only showed you sin in your life, he showed you that you weren't trusting and believing in Jesus. And that's what he did with me. And I can say, no, 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 no. I don't, that's not true. That's not true. I can say all I want. I'll tell you who I believe. Do I believe the person that tells me God's never come to them, God doesn't come to them, they have no knowledge of sin in their life, they're really a good boy, a good girl, and they don't need God? Or do I believe God who says, you, and he says, 
you're proving that you're not believing me and trusting me and, and hearing from me when I'm trying to talk to you because you're rejecting Jesus. That's the proof that you love darkness, as it says in John 3, more than light. That's what it says in the Bible. Now, you don't have to agree with it if you're here and you're visiting and you're going, well, you know, these are your opinions. These are scriptures. They're God's opinion. <laughs> They're God's declaration. You can disagree with it, but that doesn't change anything. If there is a brick wall up ahead for you, there's still a brick wall whether you believe it or not. I don't have any control over that. I'm not here to force anyone to believe anything. You know, my part is I'm a witness. I, there's the conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. He's the prosecuting attorney. I'm called and you're called. If you're a Christian, you're not called. When they get a witness on the witness stand, they say, they don't ask you, tell me, what's your preference about lawyers and prosecutors? Tell me how you feel inside about this trial that's going on. Tell me what your opinion is about what, they don't ask you those kind of questions, do they? When you're in a courtroom and you go to a witness stand, they say, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And in some places they still say, so help me God. And then they ask you questions pertinent to the case, and you give testimony according to what you know. You've seen it, you've heard it, you've participated in it. That's your job. Your job isn't to get up on the witness stand and make sure everybody likes you or make sure everybody hates you. That if, if your interest in being on the witness stand overwhelms your honesty, you're a bad witness, you're a false, you're a false witness. Are you with me? You're called to be a true witness. That's why I'm, not, I'm very comfortable. When somebody asks me a question and I don't know the answer, you know, it's amazing. I say, I don't know. <laughs> because I'm not God and there's things I don't know. I'm pretty thorough in some circles that you would say I'm pretty knowledgeable in the Bible. I should have some pretty good knowledge if I'm going to teach. But I don't know everything. I can't answer everybody's questions. And I can't make everybody like me. Because that's very, very, very selfish. If my number one goal is to have people like me, I can't teach the Bible. And if my number one goal is to have people like me, I cannot be a witness in college, at high school, at my job. Because I'm more worried about me than anything else. And it's easy to use God as your excuse. I don't want to make him look bad. You know, God, isn't, God looks just fine. <laughs> All by himself, with or without me. Now, I don't go vent and foam on people with, you're going to go under judgment. That's not my goal at all. And I don't even, and I don't rail on people who curse and say, I'm a Christian. I don't want you cursing in my presence. You might do that and feel comfortable with it. Go ahead if you need to. I don't, my goal is to find out how to get to their heart. I mean, I'm not really worried about whether they curse. I mean, maybe at a certain point, and if a guy was being vulgar in front of other people and women, I might say, hey, I'm not, I'm not shy. I'm not afraid. But my goal in life isn't to load a gun and just shoot at people who are ungodly because, I mean, you'd have to leave the world. And people are ungodly, and you gotta, I'm comfortable with them. I, I want to love them, and I want to see them be saved. And so if I want to be them be saved, that's a little more important than whether they like Rick. So I'm a witness. You're a witness. 
And, and, and so in the courtroom, the, the judge is the father through his son, Jesus Christ, who's given judgment to him by the father for all things. And the Holy Spirit is, is convicting. And the ruler of this world's judge, Satan's perverted passion has been dealt with. because And people like you and me are able to stand up and say, listen, I'm not perfect. I know my sin. I'm not better than you. See, you it is not true that the reason you can tell other people things is because you're better than they are. That's not true, and it's not the Bible. The Bible says you can tell other people things you need to tell them because you're just like them, and you know it. And you're free to say, I'm just like you, bro. I, do this, I have the same personality characteristics, excuse me, that you do. You're thankful you don't have my personality. But I'm just like you. And I kind of know you because we're similar. We're humans. I'm tempted. You're tempted. I sin. You sin. Here's who Jesus is. No matter if it's you or me, that's not the issue. I'm not better than you. But I've learned what's better. And I'm free to tell you. I didn't make up the Bible. I'm not defending my position. I'm telling you the truth. The best as I understand it from God's word. And so it's important to remember, well, how come it says God gets to judge, but we're not where he can he, God has wrath, but we're supposed to put off wrath. I'm not I can't I don't get to be angry at anybody. <laughs> James 1:20, the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. So the stirring here today is not if it's if it's up to me. Uh, capacity-wise, maybe I'm very weak at this. Intent-wise, it's very clear to me. The intent isn't to get to you to load your guns to shoot people with the gospel. Boom! You need Jesus. It is to help you face your fear. Absolutely. Some of you are so scared about what people think about you. And they don't. They think about themselves. <laughs> but anyway, you're so fearful about what people think about you. And I am that same person. But it is changing. And it needs to change for the gospel's sake, for the Lord's sake, and for that very person's sake. I need to love people more than myself. Not just think it all about me. And I'm trying to paint you that picture today. Number two... It, the wrath of man doesn't work the righteousness of God. He is not just angry. God hates sin, and God will judge sin. And if a person holds on to their sin, they will be judged with their sin. But in, also in Peter, right after it talks about this issue of God being able to deal with judgment and deliverance, it says, God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And I'm friends... All my pastors have always taught me this. It's a very deep theological statement. In the Greek, the word all means all. <laughs> it's just, they always say that, so I'm going to say it, because it's true. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know, it, I'll tell you what um, is problematic is when people say, it, 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 you know, should we have tears rather than anger for people who are on their way to a destiny of, of judgment? We absolutely should. People that are going to live alone in their own world with their own guilt, knowing exactly who they are, and only that about themselves in outer darkness, separated from God and his people, is a horrible, horrible thing. 
I don't fully understand it. I do believe it. And if you want to change the Bible and make it the, put your name, but if you're going to change the Bible, put your name on it, say, call it, call it the uh, Dale Bible. And put your name in it. Because you're changing what God said to fit yourself, what makes you feel comfortable. So if you want to do that, you make up your own Bible. That's your prerogative. But don't say the Bible doesn't say. And I'm speaking out beyond you for those that would listen. Don't say the Bible doesn't. Don't reinterpret it to make it easier. Admit that it's hard and that you don't understand it fully. But don't change it. We are eternal beings and we make eternal decisions. At some point, your decisions last forever. At some point, our decisions last forever. And the teacher, the pastor that will not talk to you like this is not worthy to be listened to because they're not looking out for your best interest. There are teachers teaching that there's no such thing as hell or eternal judgment in churches with crosses on top of them. You don't have to come to this church, but run from those churches <laughs> because they're not teaching the truth of God's. They're making up their own Bible. And that grieves my heart for the sake of people who listen and get their ears tickled and are on their way to hit a brick wall. And it should bother you just as much as it bothers me. The wrath of man doesn't work the righteousness of God. So when I have tears, when I think about this, and none of us wants to think about it, but I think about it, and I don't get hard-hearted and mad at people out there. My heart starts to break, and I start thinking about it, and it's overwhelming sometimes. You can't think about it all day. You just can't. You can't do it. But you can think about it, and you can pray, and you can say, Lord, make me useful I'm driving the neighborhoods this morning looking at all these. I don't do that every week, but I was driving the neighborhoods going, all these people, God help us reach them somehow. It gives you love. See, if your tears for people are tears that say, I really love people and I care about them, but I'm not so sure about God because he's saying he's judge. And you think that your emotion and your love for people is greater than God's. And there are people who think that. They might not say it so blatantly as I just said it, but that's what they're thinking. I really care about people. I wish God cared the way I do. Heaven forbid. You're deceived. You're deceived. Your emotion is, and your sense of self is really what's feeding you. It's feeding you wrongly. I'm going to say, I don't care about people more than God does. I don't care about people as much as God does. I have not given my life to die for people. I don't spend every minute thinking about their needs. Do any of you? (laughs) Jesus did. You see, the proof that God has the right to judge and that he wants to bring all men to repentance and it's not you or your buddy who's so kind but not God, is that Jesus is the, and I'll use a big Bible word, Romans 3, 1 John 2, Jesus is the propitiation for our sin. The righteous requirement of God's wrath being poured out, the judgment that was deserved was taken by him. But you know what that word really comes from? It comes from the word Hebrew word originally, 
and the Greek word is New Testament, where we get propitiation, picked it up, mercy seat. So forget all those other words I just said, because you're not following me anyway. Mercy seat. What's the mercy seat? It was on the Ark of the Covenant, where once a year the high priest would break the blood, first for himself and then for the offering for the people, and pour it and sprinkle it on the altar there, on the Ark of the Covenant, inside behind the curtain where nobody could go but the high priest once a year, and he would sprinkle it and pour blood. And you see, where God pours out mercy, God pours out blood. Where God pours out mercy, and everyone needs mercy, Everyone needs mercy. God, when God pours out mercy, he pours out blood, his own. His son, Jesus Christ, took the wrath of God for us with no distinction between Jew or Gentile or Greek or as it goes through there. God says, I look at you all and I see how much you need a Savior and you need my blood. Hallelujah for that. So, we see man mistreat man not only racially, but in the same races we see the horrible through history. You don't have to go against another a group of people from a different color. That's bad. That's horrible. Do you know that it happens within a race? Or we call it a race. It's, there's one race. But it happens uh, British to British, British to colonists. Read history. The wickedness, burning down the building with women and children in it. That sounds like ISIS. It was the British government. Don't get this idea that white people or Westerners or sophisticated Americans are pure. Get it out of your head, man. That's, that's scary because you'll set yourself up for a great... Man can do horrible things to man. All through history. Doesn't matter if you're, it's your brother first murder was a brother. <laughs> Do we need to go any further than that? There's one true righteous judge. There's one true holy person. It's Jesus. And, and what are we to do with this? Listen, let me just read quickly, and we'll pick it up next week. Therefore, verse 12, as the elect of God, um, holy and beloved, put on, this is again the clothing term, tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Now, I know you can look at that like a law. You must do this. I'm on you. It's like if you look at this, and and maybe it could be taken that way, although uh, those last words, must do, are uh, italicized, meaning that they were kind of added for clarity. Um, we are chosen by God to represent him. We're, to, we're his witnesses. We're to wear our faith visibly. We're, allow, we're to allow the Holy Spirit to dress us up in his best. Are you with me? Let the Holy Spirit dress you up in his best. Uh, it's the great put-on, and it's not a fake put-on. Because there's no way for me to be this, okay? Jesus also said, along with this right here, Jesus said, love your enemies. On the count of three, I want you to do that. Okay, I've got to stop watch here and see how long it's... I mean, enemy, it's not the lady behind the counter at the DMV that says you need another piece of paper or you can't register your car. She's, she, she's going to irritate you. There's some good ladies down there, by the way. I've told them my story. I say I use the DMV. Uh, because sometimes when you go to the DMV and you don't have the right, it's like next, and like you've been waiting for an hour, and, and you feel like this person's my enemy. You're dreaming. You're in a false world. 
Do you know what an enemy is? We do. Love your enemies. How do you do that? You don't. By yourself. God asks you, God commands you the impossible to show you how deeply you need him to fulfill the law of Christ, which is love inside of you. Love fulfills the law. All these things are fulfilled. How am I going to talk to people? How am I going to treat my wife? How am I going to treat you? If Jesus is in me and I'm letting him live in me, I'm going to treat him the way, I'm going to treat you the way he treats you. And you see all these words. What is strong? What's a strong man? Well, a strong man is so strong is that he can be merciful and kind and humble and meek and long-suffering and bear with others. That's a strong man or woman because that's Jesus, isn't it? Doesn't that describe him? Who bore with me? Who bore with you and your sin and your failure? Who, who has a real complaint against you? Who has the real complaint against you? Yeah, the Lord. And yet he's given that complaint. He's poured it out on Jesus. So Jesus is the one that I want to put on because Jesus is the fulfillment of these things. God's truth shines. His light is bright. God is robed in light, and light emanates from him. And it shines in my darkness, and I don't feel very adequate. I don't feel adequate as a man to say, I'm, I've got this down. I don't feel adequate as a teacher to say, boy, I really taught that study good. Now I did my job today. I'm great. I feel very humbled that the God who is all these things would love me. Don't you? I mean, he loves you. he's, He's not even mad at you because you think about yourself more than other people. You don't start by thinking about other people. You start by thinking about him. You just let him talk to you. You let him be with you. You let him be your reason. You let, you, you let, you let him come to you and, 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 and you, and sometimes you have to cry out to him because you're so, don't feel close to him. That's okay. He's always there. You see, he has the right to judge because he's everywhere and knows everything. And he doesn't want to judge. He wants to set us free. He wants to set you free. If you continue in my word, you will truly be my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. A lie will bring you into bondage. A lie is not only you're not as good as you think you are. A lie is also you're not good enough for God to love you. You're good enough for God to love you because he loves you because he died for you because he came for you and his holy spirit is here to convict you not of your need to be a better little christian boy or girl but to embrace jesus and let him embrace you let's stand